Act five, interior, a movie scene, or the prelude to a movie scene. Whose cinema is it anyway? Last autumn at Somerset House, we asked this question, whose cinema is it? And we explored and entered into the cinema of Egypt, the, the Hollywood of the Nile, as it was once called. And for this edition of 154, I thought to consider another national cinema, or is it a national cinema, or is it a cinema at all, to reference in some way the culture of Nollywood. With more than two and a half thousand films produced in 2019, Nigeria's film industry is often claimed to have superseded other national film industries to become the second largest globally in output, a subject of contention and controversy. So I thought to approach this in a different light for, or from a different perspective by inviting Zina Sarawiwa, one of the founders of the alt-Nollywood movement, to immerse us into her universe. But what is alt? Is it an alt narrative, an alt history, an alt body, or an alt genre? Zina Sarawiwa, the daughter of a poet and activist, has made films and video installations about natural hair amongst black women to the, to the explorations of the performance of ritual in love. She's also a survivor of Great Britain's public broadcasting system. <laughs> One that I too, uh, a pain that I too share. Today in two chapters, or this afternoon in two chapters, we venture into Zina's emotional forays on screen. Guiding us is Professor Sarah Perks, who first introduced me to Zina's work back in 2012. Sarah? The mic is yours. Thank you, Omar. So artist Zina Sarawiwa has a vast body of work across move and image and installation that expands into performance and beyond, centered on her understanding of environmentalism, which uses yet pushes beyond climate change and oil pollution into emotional landscapes and spiritual ecosystems, the latter of which we'll focus on today. So for this special forum event today, we're going on a journey of 90 minutes that includes two screenings to explore key works of Zena's, and we'd like to go straight into showing you some work. So we're going to start with the cult classic Phyllis, which is from 2010, um, and Table Manners, Felix Eats Sorghum Salad and Drinks Palm Wine from 2019. So combine this will take just over 20 minutes, and then myself and Zena will be on the stage. So let's just jump straight in and watch the films. Thank you. So thank you, Zena, for sharing those first two works with us. Um, please, can you introduce us to this movement that you created, you solely curated, um, uh, curate, created? called um, Alt Nollywood. So tell us what this means. 
Um, yeah, so I am the founder of Alt Nollywood, and sadly, I'm the only one so far. There's only like two and a half films in Alt Nollywood at this time, but I'm hoping that there will be more in the future. Um, I started it because when I was, um, you know, when, when you're getting your hair done, like braided, like I do, um, you often end up watching Nollywood movies, especially if you're getting your hair braided at somebody's home or even in a salon. And I was watching all these movies in 2008, seven, eight, nine. And it kind of caused a sort of chaos in my soul on some level, 2004, 5, 6, et cetera. And it, was, um, it started to become even evident on the streets of London, all these posters that I assume were Jamaican because of the way that people were dressed with wigs and the nails, et cetera. I thought, I assumed that was more dancehall culture. It turns out those films were Nigerian and these posters were like posted around different parts of London. So that was kind of my first introduction from the side of my eye of Nollywood. Then watching the films, there was something, there's something so wonderful and chaotic about the early Nollywood films, which is, which is what I'm mostly inspired by. And the early Nollywood films um, were just video art to me. I couldn't see them as anything other than video art. They were so, so free. They were doctrinally conservative, which is also pretty radical, I would say, even now. It's like, to be as conservative as it is, is um, doctrinally extremely interesting, and, um, but just completely mad, wild. And so I could only ever see Nollywood through the lens of it being itself, you know, it's abnormative, it's outside certain codes, even though it's trying to emulate certain codes, but also completely not of them. And, um, and I wanted to respond to it, and the only way that I could respond was in in some sort of film way or in installation ways. And um, and I did that and I had, but I couldn't, I can't make a Nollywood film, I can only be myself. So Alt Nollywood is about dealing with some certain tropes that you would see, but also using it to subvert it in itself. So with um, Phyllis, it was the idea, it was um, the wig wearing in Nollywood. I was just very aware of all the, the wig changes and all the kinds of, and the, la the lack of continuity, but even then people change wigs all the time or d wear different weaves. And it was one particular film called Beyonce versus Rihanna that um, inspired me. All the actresses there, they played um, um, two singers called not Beyonce versus Rihanna, despite the title called Bernice and Rhyme. Um, that's why fighting over a producer called Jay and um, and they they were always wearing different wigs and it was just like I couldn't understand why were they why were they doing this why, why is this happening and so um, in a way Nollywood um, well Alt Nollywood would deal with this fact and use it as part of the strategy of telling a particular story but thinking about that and unraveling it at the same time so it's always it's an homage and critique at the same time which is kind of what Alt Nollywood is but also using the modalities of how we make film in Nollywood and that kind of freedom that they have, it's also inspired by that and using it in whatever language is actually yours. But as a Nigerian, even though I grew up in the UK and currently live in the States, I'm, I'm inspired endlessly by Nollywood, but as it filters through me, it becomes alt. And it's also about pop culture. Um, so whilst Phyllis clearly uses this pop culture of Nollywood and beyond, um, this film in particular becomes a part of that pop culture. So it creates images particularly centered around the pink wig in particular and wigs that then circulate on the internet in particular. Tell us about the you know, life of this film after you made it. So it was made in sort of 2010, so quite a while ago. And um, it's always had this kind of weird underground sort of appeal and uh, t uh, Tumblr was quite big at the time. And it was always huge on sort of trans tumblers which were having a real kind of moment at that time and the kind of issues to do with trans identity was coming through. And for some reason you'd always find Phyllis on all of these kind of tumblers. And there was something within her that, that, that spoke 
to trans community, I'm, I'm assuming at the time. So, um, so I've kind of enjoyed it for that reason. Um, but it's always had this weird sort of underground kind of life. And, um, but it's always been there somehow. So um, yeah, it's this, I try to make the sort of sub, I don't try, it's just, I just do make subcutaneous films that are just beneath the surface of something, always paying attention to popular culture, like all that music there, like I love Burt Bacharach, and I love, um, you know, I love a lot of French, you know, late romantic music. So, it's, you know, you'll see it in all my films somehow. Um, I love this kind of music. And also, I mean, Phyllis is this, she isn't me, actually, at all. People think it's like you. It's like, actually, not in this case. Um, but Phyllis is someone who um, loves Dionne Warwick and loves, like, Nollywood superstars. And, you know, in her, in her house, you can see all these kind of posters, etc. But, yeah, she's very much um, responding to... Um, popular culture and old Nollywood. Some of the, the the movies that I cut away to, the Nollywood films, are all these films where it's about where women come a cropper. In Nollywood, if a woman is too proud or too successful or like operates outside sort of conservative codes, she comes a cropper, she gets AIDS, she dies, and terrible things happen to her. And so that's what I was showing some of these films from there. And also the trope of the crying woman, um, which is kind of in all my films now, it seems. You'll see in the next one. Um, that, that's also kind of um, in there too. So it's very important to feed on the, on the popular, but it turns into something else. You know, anything, the popular, there's always a, a code that's going on underneath the surface of something. So I tend to read things subtextually. I don't really read the text, you know? And I'm looking at the text, but something else is responding in a different way, and kind of all my films operate on that subcutaneous level, I'd say. And it's also how you use genre. Um, and particularly in Phyllis, I think it's melodrama, um, with a little bit of horror, maybe. Um, but it's melodrama from Nollywood and how you reconcile the performance of emotion with music. Um, and then how this deals with sorrow and tragedy, which is the very definition, of course, of melodrama, the melody and the drama. Um, so tell us about how you, yeah, you know, approach creating that emotion on film. Um, well, it's very much unresolved for me. I'm, I'm still trying to, when you see acting in Nollywood, it's so, like, um, kind of, it's emotive but unemotional to me. And, you know, I'm used to a bit more realism, but then I'm also trying to, like, make my peace with this thing that seems really kind of like outlandish that makes you laugh perhaps but it's also you know you're, le you're dealing with a very traumatized society who's like you know su we're super vibrant Nigerians we're super um we know how to survive but there's you know there is this trauma at the center of all of our experiences and so kind of melodrama is about truth I think you know it's dealing with these things that are actually these terrible things that that happen to people, you know? And resilience. And resilience, exactly. So melodrama in a way is that, I mean, terrible things happen to people, so why wouldn't you use melodrama to sort of mirror and echo that? I don't know if, um, would realism even work because of the way like Nigerians naturally we perform, the way that we talk and the way that we laugh together. Our realist movies are not going to be like French realist movies where everything, I don't know, I mean, I don't even know how realist realism is, but how real realism is, but our realism would be actually extremely fun and performative and expansive because that's how we are as Nigerians. So it's an interesting place, like where does melodrama fit in with us? Is melodrama actually realism for us? That's something I'm trying to think about. But then I can't deny that some of the acting is absolutely dreadful. So it's like, how do we kind of make sense of that? But I do think that the, the role of art, in a way, is to mirror 
the um, the gaping wounds and the holes and you know and in our case there's a, there's a lot of trauma and I say I think melodrama possibly deals with that but in terms of music I find um, I'm very kind of um, mm, affected by chords like certain kinds of chords um, augmented sixths sevenths ninths they're kind of more sort of I suppose jazz chords if you like but you also find them in late romantic music and they kind of do something to me and other, other people too, even though they're not necessarily aware of what that music does. And all the music I choose also does that and expresses that in some way. So I will choose some Nigerian music, but actually I'll choose whatever music kind of like makes me feel a certain way. So the, you know, the Burt Bacharach, the Dionne Warwick, what the world needs now is love. And that's what she needs, you know, that's all she's doing. She's just, she's just trying to experience love. And so that song for me, just in all those chords and the, the, you know, the trumpet and, oh, it's so beautiful. So that kind of, for me, underlines it and underscores the actual passion and the emotion. And let's talk about the significance, what I call the mystical obsession with food and drink um, in your work. And, of course, we just saw a small part of the series Table Manners there. Food and drink, what does that mean to you? I'm still figuring out what it means. Um, I'm, you know... The art I make is helps me understand myself, and I make work about things I don't understand. So I'm kind of like, in, during the journey, I'm in the journey of trying to understand what food and drink is to me. Um, I'm not just greedy, I'm greedy. I like, I like food, and I like to cook, and I like to look after people, but it's, there's something else that's going on with food, and it's using me to tell its story on some level. Um, but how I started like putting it in, I mean, I've always been interested in it, always watched, um, you know, cookery programs, always, you know, food has always been, so I always cooked at home, it's something I've always loved to do, but it was actually Nollywood movies, uh, there's one Nollywood movie that I saw, and it was this like very weird birthday party, and it was this beautiful kind of table, well, it wasn't very beautiful, it was very kind of like kitchens, you know, they had like a birthday cake and jollof rice and chicken drumsticks and plastic flowers, and the, everyone sort of like sitting around it and the camera just kept on going round like this then it would stop and go around the other way and it was playing happy birthday on, on a kind of glockenspiel kind of sound and then it would stop and start and it just went on for ages and everyone's just like eating this birthday cake and it was and then there was another scene in another film with this woman who is like kind of in love with her son like really angry that he was getting married and they had this like romantic dinner and again it was this like interminable scene of them eating at this table in this restaurant and I was it was just so interesting I'm like why are they spending so long on this but also like why not it was something it was so delightful and weird and also, I mean, it didn't, didn't do anything to the narrative, but also it does do something to the narrative when you spend that long, and it sort of takes you out of it, but takes you into yourself, and it kind of expands something. You're thinking, what's happening? And you're going somewhere deeper that you don't... You're thinking, why am I going to this place? So I'm thinking, watching people eat is very powerful. There's something very, very, very interesting in that. So, um, so I'm thinking, they gave me permission. Often, I mean, I think art is about permission, what you allow yourself to do and say and behave and write and, you know, think and film. So, you know, Nollywood has always given me so much permission, I think. I just watch, I think, how dare they do that? I think, wow, they dared, I should dare to do that. And so, in a way, it's just like, fine, if they, I'll just start to, like, you know, put more food in my film because that's where my heart is anyway. So it's just about obeying my heart. And I love that about Nollywood. They just do what they want. And my favourite kind of thing about Nollywood, the favourite aphorism that I... Not an aphorism, but a story that I heard is that, 
you know, Nollywood's um, producers, when they started making these films in the, in, in the late 80s and early 90s, they jumped into the, <laughs> into the water and learned, and learned how to build boats while they're in the water, you know? And that's, all my, that's how I make all my work. So I feel like, and I became an artist in that way. I, was never, I never went to art school or anything. So I feel in many ways I am, like, I'm definitely, I'm a Nollywood producer. The way that I approach everything is Nollywood. I just jump in and I make it happen. Thank you. And then, how does the actual geography of where you're making this work affect it and influence it? I mean, place is everything to me, I think. Um, so table manners, people think it's about like colonial ideas about eating. And yes, I mean, I just did that so people would think that. You can, if you think that, that's fine. But for me, it's actually about place. Um, site and place and marking place. Um, and so I think that, um, because I always say where it happens. So not only is the food in your mouth, but the, the, the name of the place, Barra Compound in Orgoniland, is in your mouth as well. And that's important for me, for people to ingest and to see and to understand. So place is hugely important. And also it's like, it's the spirit of the time and place. With Nollywood, it's like, whatever's happening right now at that time, old Nollywood, sorry, it's whatever's happening at that time right now. So I was making Phyllis in um, Lagos Island. I got to Nigeria not knowing exactly what was going to happen or what the film would be like. And I had originally spoken to Nadi Okara for saying, I want to do a film about like sci-fi wigs. And she wrote me this like script, but it was just like, it's, I'm just mean by myself. It's going to be too impossible, too expensive to shoot. So I just rocked up to Lagos and not knowing what would happen or what I would do. Or, and Lagos gave me, gave me everything. I needed an actress that, you know, could wear these white contacts. And I found a, the girl that came could just do it by herself without needing contacts. Um, I heard her name then. It wasn't called Phyllis at the time. I heard Phyllis's name at that time and place. Everything that I needed came to me through Lagos and to whatever entities are there swimming around. And that all came through. I, saw, I always saw like a blue room for some reason for Phyllis and went to this hotel, different hotels, asking, do you have blue rooms? And, one, and the last hotel was just like, I was asking this guy, do you have any blue rooms? And he goes, no. He goes, what colour do you have? He's like, butterscotch. I was like, <laughs> butterscotch. He's like, yeah, butterscotch. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I so said, just show me the room, just show me the fucking room, whatever. So I went up to the room and it's like, it's, it's, it's fucking blue. I'm like, why, why, why? Like, this is Nigeria, you know? Nigeria, I, don't, I don't understand. But this guy was so great. He was also in the movie as well and he ended up really helping me with everything and, you know, all these, I mean, this is, uh, Peter Hugo will tell you, because I started writing about Nollywood because he did a, a whole um, monograph about Nollywood and I, he asked me to write the essay. And, he was, and his Nollywood stuff is that he'd go and ask for like, okay, I want three guys who are gangsters and we're going to shoot them at this time. No, four guys who are gangsters and instead he'll get three women who are gangsters at five hours later at a different place and that's what he would get. So Nigeria is going to tell you what film you're going to make, right? It's not you that will tell you. It's Nigeria that will tell you, and it's the place and the time. And so, yeah, so place is everything. Thank you. Okay, we're going to move on to the next screener. So do stay with us. Save your questions. We'll open out to you at the end. And also, if you stay with us, there may be a um, little tasting session on the food and drink theme. So uh, what we want to do now is share with you a new special piece of work that ultimately is going to be part of an epic uh, feature film that Zena is making. But I do want to um, add a little warning before this that the film does deal with the topic of suicide. And we understand that this could be a trigger. So this screening is 25 minutes long. 
Okay, so Zena, do you want to just tell us a few words about Eucaria before we watch this? So Eucaria, um, talking about place, it came to me in Los Angeles. I moved to Los Angeles in uh, 2019, end of 2019, just before, like three or f well, five months before the pandemic. And um, and it's a, it's, a, it's an L.A. film that came through me um, in L.A. But um, it's about um, a woman who's had um, a lot of bad news and um, tries to commit suicide. And then she enters a place called um, Desert Bardo. This is not in here, but she enters a place called Desert Bardo. And she uses that time to... She basically wants to find, to find God and ask him questions about why he did what he did and potentially to kill God. And um, but then she discovers the nature of the universe through um, through, through fruit. Actually, <laughs> here comes the food element. But yeah, through um, fruit. I'm thinking a lot about like you know we talk about the apple being the like the fruit of knowledge, etc. But I'm also thinking about what happens when you eat a kiwi. What happens when you eat a banana? But it's also about it's it's not <laughs> fruit. It's just one of the things that is in this film. But it helps her understand the true nature of how the universe actually works. And um, she discovers something about herself that um, helps her decide whether she wants to come back to Earth or to go on. Okay, let's watch and then we'll return to this conversation. Thank you for sharing this work with us. Um, just tell us who is Eucaria and the background to this piece. Um, is she, um, I don't know who Eucaria is, but um, I like the name Eucaria. It's a, um, if you look it up, I, found, I, I saw someone say it's a Nigerian name. I mean, it's a name that a lot of Nigerians have. Um, and I think it relates to the idea of the Eucharist. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose on some level she's me, yeah. <laughs> she might be me in another, in another sphere, another realm. Um, but yeah, she's also a response to the landscape of California in a way, you know, you can't help but be affected by the desert. You can't be help but be affected by the ocean and everything that's there. And in a sense, that ga this gave me um, this gave me her as someone who's like on a quest to understand the true nature of the universe and to understand her fate. So yeah, but it's doing it through through land, through the earth. Um, and to explore the, the, you know, the idea of outer space or the idea of the universe that actually exists on this earth. So um, in, you know, when I moved to Los Angeles, I sort of developed a much deeper relationship with, with land, with plants, with trees. And you, know, you, just, you see God in these places. You see um, you know, God in science. You, see, you just really experience it in that way. And I think that with Eucaria, it's this way of trying to... I wrote last night, actually, what... Eucharia is about it's like what does it mean to be held you know what does it mean to feel secure and just to um to kind of link it to the screening that we saw before and what we were talking about in terms of genre I see a really intelligent and also complicated use of genre here within this work you've got references from like science fiction biblical epic um, but it never, like, it never falls into pastiche. It all seems to, you know, come together to build, um, you know, with a little bit of the Nollywood kind of, you know, 
pushing things together, really like exploring your own voice? How do you build all these references and how do you like get them together into this work? Um, by I don't do anything cognitively, I do everything instinctively. Whatever feels good tends to work together, you know, so... Um, Alt Nollywood is really quite improvisational. It's about the moment. It's a it's about the place and the time that you're making it. Um, an example being Ted Hayes, the chap that you saw on the beach. That's you know that was real. That was documentary. But then I asked him to come and just you know play a part with this woman. And so he, I said, listen, she's suicidal. What do you want to say to her? And then he shared the story about his own notion with suicide. And I think with Nollywood, like in all the other films, of my Nollywood films, a lot of the other actors, the people that were just working there were just off the street. And that's kind of, that's the way that I like to do things. So he, I felt like I was meant to have him in this film and, you know, his story, there was something about that that I had to relate to that's gonna help me work something out so he's in it. And um, so I built that into it. So that happens because that's the way, um, I make alt, that's how, that's what Alt Nollywood says you should do. If something comes in, and if a prop comes to mind, or you find a prop, so for example, the, um, that kind of, the thing that, um, that little mechanism that makes the, the galaxy around you, the light show galaxy, um, that came to mind, and I was like, oh, I better buy one, got one, and find, find a way to use it. So sometimes these very kind of, I love like cheap props or church key or any of these kind of like a wig or plastic flowers, something. We have to use it and find a way to use it and tell a story through it. So, um, but yeah, and I think that it's just like who I am as a person. I'm a complete hybrid of many people. I love biblical epics. Um, every Easter I get very excited because it's time for like proper dramatic kind of uh, biblical stories of the crucifixion and one of my favorite one of my favorite scenes ever and I, I say this as someone who's not Christian I don't have a religion at all but um, I'm very interested in religion even though I don't have one um, I love the Sermon on the Mount that's something that I think is going to have to work its way into the film because every time I watch it I cry um, and I'm sort of nearly on my knees wanting to convert. <laughs> but, um, but what's also interesting, I was hearing uh, one of the actors who played Jesus talk about it many years later, and he was saying how, like, during the Sermon of the Mount, not only were the actors crying, but so were the cameramen, and so were the sound guys. So there's, like, some, there's something going on, right? There's something happening. And so I'm, I always wanted to make a film that affected people in that way, that sense of, like, grandness and drama and the ability just to change the way you feel completely and utterly in the way that, not just emotionally, but just spiritually. So that's, what, that's in it, too. And then you say sci-fi, but I don't actually like sci-fi at all. I'm interested in the cosmos, and I'm interested in the universe, but how can... It's my, my way of being interested in the universe without without using and employing science fiction. Because also I find science fiction is very kind of anti-food, anti-matter, anti... Um, it's always about dryness and the me mechanic, you know, things that are mechanical. And I feel like, you know, I see so much technology and fruit and these, like, beautiful flowers. If you're, I mean, just... It is, oh, sorry, I just killed the flowers. But it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's wild when you, you know, every time I'm always right now looking at a lot of, like, macroscopic images of, like, leaves and plants and... This technology is, is, is incredible, you know? How, how, I mean, this is technology, it's just, it's incredible. And so 
Um, so what is science fiction? What is that? I don't even know what science fiction is, you know? I'm not even sure that I understand that. But I want to do it through a positivist way of like going through nature to access a language that some might see as scientific, but I also want to use emotion. We talk, I talk about emotional landscapes all the time. And, you know, and I know a lot of certain kinds of um, men always groan when we talk about Interstellar, the movie, and I read online where people groan about the, there's a moment in Interstellar where um, they're supposed to, uh, they have a decision to go from one planet to another, to choose one planet to travel to, or another planet to travel to. And then uh, one of the, the, the astronauts played by um, Anne Hathaway um, admits that she wants to go to another planet because someone she loves is there. And then, you know, and then they say, well, that's a bit kind of ridiculous, you shouldn't be doing that. And she says, well, how do you know love isn't a technology? And a lot of kind of science fiction people sort of groan when she says that, but I, I don't care if they're groaning. I think there's something very powerful about that and to use that. And I don't see why, you know, whenever I see science fiction, it's sort of like human dramas transposed to a different landscape, but it's not, that's not enough for me. Um, yeah, I think what you're or how I see your work here is that you're, you're not actually transcending film language or style, but you're actually transcending worlds or using it to transcend worlds. There's an exploration of a kind of combination of metaphysical and spiritual that's creating something that isn't limited by conventional boundaries. Um, and that's why I think it, it moves us and also moves at a different um, pace. So maybe like talk a little bit more about how you feel this is kind of, you know, this sense of spirituality within your work. Spirituality in my work. I mean, I, I live partly in the spirit world and in this world. I'm like, like all my family is like on the other side now, apart from my sister. So they're all on the other side now and I'm here. And it's like, but even before all that happened, I always felt like I had um, one foot in another place. And, um, and they're all the same place. And it's actually a very African way of thinking about the world. You know, we sort of, understand other realms as coexisting on this space and they might be not they're not visible to the eye but they exist and I've had personal experience of this when I traveled in Brazil and Cuba so I know that it's real but I don't have a supernatural I don't see it as supernatural I just think it as natural and it's just normal this is just my this is how I experience the world um, but my reaction isn't I don't like worship the invisible I'm not really interested in that it's just an exploration. It's not just because, you know, I think people have the sense that, oh, if it's like mystical or different, you know, you have to have a particular relationship to it. But my relationship to it is mundane. I think of it as normal. So, you know, putting it together just feels completely natural to me to be like dancing between different worlds. And, you know, I don't know, what are different worlds? It's so, um, you know, you go, I feel like I live in a different place from a lot of people. And I think we all live in different worlds, even if we're sitting, you know, a few feet away from each other. But we, we exist in different places, and that always interests me, this, you know, perspectives of how we approach ideas and where we're coming from. Um, and I, I, I love, like, wider perspective, which is why I talk, when I talk about decolonization, I think in my work I've talked a lot about decolonizing environmentalism, but for me I want to decolonize from decolonization. I want to decolonize from humanity. I want, the, I want to decolonize from the human. That interests me more. So my, my future work is really about, like, I don't know, plant sentience or these other energies that are in the earth that don't yet have a, a name, that aren't expressed on the surface, don't have a culture, isn't cu it's proto-culture. We haven't got there yet. And so I'm interested in those forces and those energies, and I allow them to use me to make work. So when we talk about place, those energies are in that land where you're making that place and you're expressing well, the way I make film, and as an Nollywood auteur, you have to allow the land to come through you to tell that particular story, and it will 
filter through your own experiences, but there is something else of the land. So that, this is an LA movie. It's a Xena LA movie. But is there, like, you know, is it fair to say that the sort of portal to that is the, not just the nature, but the kind of food in a way, that's how, like the fruit, that's how you get into that space. And how does that relate to the sort of use of like black and white and color as well in this work? I mean, I feel there's two separate questions in there, but I would say that, um, so the fruit was, um, I've made these table manners, movies, uh, films, um, video installations, and I always wanted to do something about women eating fruit. And I attempted to make it in the usual way, someone eating fruit, and it just didn't work. It looked terrible, and it wasn't interesting. Um, but now I've, I think I've transposed it into this story and activated it and allowed it to, to give it narrative, and I think I was always meant to do that. And um, in terms of like moving from black and white to color, I think I've always just been affected by, um, it's never changed, I've always been affected by The Wizard of Oz, you know, that moment where after the hurricane and then, you know, Dorothy opens the doors and it's like, it's all the munchkin land is in color. I've never gotten over that. I'm still processing that actually. <laughs> so I think the idea of going into, you know, this other world, this desert bardo, the afterlife, um, world that I intimated at, at the, in, on the, the watermelon eating scene, I sort of intimate at that, but there's a, the next phase is like this idea of Desert Bardo and the kind of characters that she meets and her journey to discover God and maybe or may not maybe kill them. And how do you want to like visualize that and start to create that part? So with me, it's just I don't write scripts, so I don't, um, and I think I can get away with that because I, I'm, I shoot a lot of stuff myself or I just write it before, quickly beforehand and then we shoot. But um, I feel that, you know, if I continue to make this without money, it's just a case of, okay, I have a, I've seen the next thing that I want to make and then I have to just go out and, and find it. I have a, um, a scene that I, the next thing, all I know is that the next thing I have to shoot is a scene with White Christ and I know that I, I have an actor in mind that I want to use to, and there's a particular song that's underneath it and they have an, an entanglement on the beach. And I know that once I've done that, then I can figure out the rest of it. I mean, I've written notes and notes, pages of notes, like, like 10,000 words on this film, and I'm still trying to figure out kind of what's going, but I think that you have to do you know, it's like, it's not the cognitive, it's you have to do it. Yeah. And it's like that moment and the time, and once I've done it, then I'll, then I'll know. So it's this weird thing where I have to make it first before I can understand what I'm doing. Okay, thank you, Zena. Okay, you've all been very patient um, throughout the screening and listening to us. Is there anything you would like to ask of Zena while we're here and we have um, just over five minutes left? I know we've, we've th thrown a lot at you. <laughs> we've gone through, I did say it would be a journey. Um, but is there anything? Yeah, we've got a question there. Oh, there's a mic coming. Thanks, Cameron. Hello. <laughs> um, hi, my name is Maya. Um, I, oh, where to start? Hold on. <laughs> Processing. Um, yeah, I think I just want to start off with saying that um, the Eucaria film definitely like hit so hard um, on multiple levels. And um, I found your um, comments on sci-fi really interesting and how like, and like talking about technology and emotion as technology and I was curious, because okay, so I also thought that sci-fi was real dry and like emotionless and like not as like sticky and like biomorphic as I wanted it to be. Um, and then I started reading a lot of Octavia Butler. 
and your mentions of like um, organisms that yet to be, that's yet to have culture. I was wondering if you have any like, well, Octavia Butler also references like things like slime molds within her work. Um, so I was wondering if you have any Octavia Butler references. I actually don't, not yeah. necessarily in this. Um, um, but I think there is something to do with being a black woman making this kind of work or con contemplating the universe yeah. and contemplating um, other kinds of existences on this earth. Yeah. Um, and so if that comes out naturally and there's a sort of like, there's a, you know, there's a similarity that wouldn't surprise, doesn't surprise me at all. Um, like I said, I don't really have any relationship with sci-fi and I'm a, I, I, I haven't really, I've started reading some of the books, but I also was scared to whilst I'm making this film. I feel like I just yeah. feel like I, I want to wait and I'm excited if there are similarities. But I do think that um, I want to, I mean, I, I, we all think about, we've all considered the cosmos, you know? But there's always one particular language that's supposed to help us mediate that relationship and I'm just interested in exploring other languages. But then I think ultimately it's the idea of like the cosmos that exists on this earth and how maybe we have to get, we go, go, go to outer space through going inwards, you know, that, that, old, that old trope. Yeah, universe yeah. within universe, we are all exactly. our well, own universe. I mean, I'm looking at a lot yeah. of like the, the bio, uh, you know, the, the idea of like a tree looking like a lung and all the kind of, you yeah. know, the fact that galaxies looking like irises, all these kinds of things, you know, sure. and we can, and what's so interesting is the idea of the, oh, that's so cliche, the, that is so cliche, it's such a powerful thing that makes us dismiss everything. And I always want to dismiss it, but I have to force myself to not dismiss the cliche. That's what they want you to do. Don't dismiss the, enter into the cliche. Yeah. Dive into the cliche. That's actually the most powerful thing to do. Dive in it, use it, because the cliche is supposed to like, it's like hidden in plain sight. It's the thing that you're supposed to, that, that's where the signal is. That's right. where the story is, the cliche. cliche so you actually have to go there and work and you know dive into it and sort of not be ashamed of it which is the thing about melodrama as well you know we're supposed to be like ashamed of emotion but it's also like when really terrible things happen to people are you going to tell someone who's like gone through what people have gone through in Syria or going through right now in Ukraine or going through in Congo you know that they're not allowed to be like melodra melodramatic or can't use melodrama you know because it's like cliche in some way yeah. isn't realism more mature all that that nonsense so yeah I feel like actually the bigger challenge is to like to be an a, a emotional astronaut and I just think once we actually start to open our eyes and see and start to employ different kinds of eyes we're going to just start like our minds are going to start being blown because the understanding where we actually live and what, what earth is is like actually mind-blowing if we were to think about it we can't cope with it we can't cope with that that vision we can't cope with it you know but so I'm just trying to like open that, tear that open a tiny bit, but the vision would make us go mad. They talk about the idea of the, the visionary that's gone mad with the knowledge of the universe. I mean, that is going to be in this, because this is about the problem of knowledge, our relationship with knowledge. Uh, and we have a crisis of knowledge right now, on, right now on Earth, but I feel like Eukarya's idea about having a relationship with knowledge, a, a more solid relationship with knowing what's going to happen, is about exploring this idea. So, um, yeah, the idea of knowledge and not, the fact that we don't need to know because it's in the Bible about how <laughs> we don't need to know, in a way. You know, the idea of eating the apple and then, you know, we realize we're naked and, you know, we get cast out and then life becomes hard for us. 
So, you know, so that's that tension between the, the therapist, the, the psychi- psychiatrist, rather, and um, Eukarya saying, like, it's about acceptance, it's not about knowledge. Can we do that? Can we just accept? Can we just live our lives and just accept? So there's that kind of tension as well. But when God keeps doing, like, terrible things to you, how do you, like, make... How do you... It's like, it's, it's, it's a gauntlet. And so she's, like, she's out for blood. She wants to kill God. She wants to fight, like, Alexandre Dumas, the... Um, Black Count or whatever, no, the Count of Monte Cristo. Once she wants to go and find God and say, "Listen, motherfucker, you know the fuck do you think you're doing?" You know, and that's what she wants to do. So that it's about that tension. So Desert Bardo goes into that place, and um, but also there is about this relationship with the cosmos, and there's some really exciting things that she discovers and tangles. And it's also the relationship. Sorry, another element. I'll quickly, the last element that's in there is also about ancestor worship and that relationship between. Um, the idea of ancestor worship and Christianity, all these different kind of religious modalities. And I do see them as all different technologies for being able to exist on Earth in a particularly morally healthy way. So it's about that particular tension too. Wow, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, I think we've just got time for one more. Um, Did you have a question there? Climate change in, in all of that. I think, did you mention climate change at the beginning? climate change and oil and how that affects you, Zina, in living in LA? So it affects me by, it's not just about that. I think the arguments and the questions about, you know, the idea of environmentalism is always filtered through the idea of oil pollution, which is where I'm from, or melting ice caps. And as someone who um, is the daughter of an activist that was fighting about these kinds of issues, I've understood it as much more personal and spiritual than that. And that's what we're all discovering now. There's a a movement called Deep Adaptation. If you look into the Deep Adaptation movement, and people are beginning to understand that, oh, it's not this this thing that's happening to the third world countries. There's this idea that, oh, the terrible things are going to happen in the third world and we're going to be okay in the West. That is not the case at all. And this idea that, you know, how we're going to cope emotionally, spiritually, politically from this, it's not just, there are so many ramifications for this. And so a more integrated idea of ecology and an integrated idea of environmentalism takes into account all of these things. So my environmentalism is very much about the spiritual because, you know, there are plenty of places that are already facing collapse and have faced collapse for the entire 20th and 21st century as a result of the environment and the, the people that have acted upon it. So when you go to those kinds of places and watch how they are trying to survive, and sometimes it's religious. I have a piece which is all about, called Prayer Warriors, which is all about um, prayer warriors in Nigeria who you, you know, who are hired to come and pray and pray and move things for people, just to like, move a particular issue in a place where people are very powerless. So you know, that is an environmental piece. That is environmentalism. It's not just about, oh, I'm going to be rude here. Should I be rude? Or it's not just about sticking a, an ice cube or an, an iceberg and watching it melt. I thought it was a great gesture, but it's way more than that. There's way more going on. And the impact that's going to have on us, what is it to be safe in a, in a time of environmental collapse is something I think about a lot. And I think that has a lot to do with how we relate to one another and it's, it's how we, that's, that's the safest place to be in a place where you're able, first of all, the government takes, the threat seriously and secondly 
the emotional health and the emotional ties you have with the community around you, that is going to determine how you live. That is environmentalism, just as much as anything else, if not more. Those are the questions that are going to animate us. So all my, yes, my work is connected to, to land and environment, etc. But I also just don't like a particular lens being the only way for me to understand the world, the cosmos. There's so many other, not just cultures, but entities and plants, etc. All sorts of people have a particular particular point of view. I'll finally say there's a chapter in, in Eucaria called um, How Does the Strawberry Perceive the Moon? And that kind of just says everything to me. It's just like, this is what we're talking about here. It's not just about the human eye. There are many eyes. And once we start to see it, our minds are going to be blown. Thank you. Hello? Oh, there it is. Um, I actually had a question. Um, and I've yeah, really thank you for the, the films and, and all the things you've been talking about today, absolutely beautiful. Um, but I was curious, although you said you weren't entirely uh, interested in forms of science fiction, but you know what you're talking about in relation to the micro and the macro, the, the spiritual and these different ways of knowing and seeing kind of reminds me of the, uh, an element of like black quantum physics in the way in which we're trying to find these new... Um, I guess vibrations and things that we can't see and aren't able to know, whether that be um, lost ancestral spiritual practices um, that you know we lost under colonial colonialism, or finding new ways to adapt to that and, and, and things like that. Um, do you think that there is maybe some elements in that kind of way through an adoption of um, black quantum physics, if you will, if you even want to label it like that? Yeah, I mean, the space, absolutely, for all of those things as well. And I do love physics for that, that their, their entanglement with the unknown, their willingness and the ability to, to be open and the, the, you know, the fact that it's so philosophical, it's one of the most philosoph philosophical of all the sciences. And I, I do love, that, love it for that. And it's actually most... Um, I think it's like for certain black peoples, African peoples, it's, a, it's actually a very sort of powerful mm -hmm. science form. I wish we had more physicists in a way because mm -hmm. that would help us sort of understand our particular condition. But my thing is it's a question of language as well and I'm interested in the idea that you know mathematics is the language of the universe I think that's really exciting but what if you're crap at maths you know I'm like wow okay so I mean, we've got to find these other languages but they're all talking about the same thing so I just I feel like um, as I move through it I think I my, my problem is that I'm anti-sci-fi but I have to have a relationship with sci-fi so I am gonna have to like you know get down and read you know about Cthulhu and even though I cannot stand Lovecraft, because <laughs> his whole thing of like, not, it's, not, it's not even the racist, I don't, even, I don't give a fuck about that. What I don't like is the idea of the, the cosmic horror. And you know, what is cosmic horror? How could he have understood what a true cosmic horror is? It seems very flat to me, I'll just say that. So, you know, I feel like this, and it just, it, it, it becomes flat again. I'm not interested in, in flatness. So his cosmic horror just seems to be like this, this um, monsters, and it's not about monsters to me. He's not able to transcend. That's how I read Lovecraft. Mm. Thank you. That was a really great question, Cameron. Thank you Thank so you. much. Um, we've run out of time, but we were going to hang around to keep chatting. Um, so please stay uh, with us. Uh, but formally, I just want to thank Omar so much and Cameron for everything in this event. And please do visit Zena's new website. It's amazing. And like this is just the tip of the iceberg. We could go on for a very long time here. Um, so it's zenasarawewa.org. So please do visit that. And that will also lead you to various things, such as the Illicit Gin Institute. Um, so please... 
uh, you know, continue to follow Zena and this amazing work. And thank you, Zena, for sharing all this with us. Thank you so much. Thank you to Sarah as well. Thank you, Omar. Thank you, Cameron. You've all been amazing. And thank you all, all for coming. I'm so happy. Thank you. Thank you.